With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golliver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, 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 we're one day late. I would like to apologize to all the Open Floor Globe members who are out there just antsy. They want these episodes, Michael. It was a um, you know unforeseen circumstance here in my apartment building with some noise that we had to avoid. But delaying one uh, you know one day did allow us to watch that NCAA title game on Monday night. Now Gonzaga had gone in, you know, looking for that perfect season and came up oh so close. But they wind up losing to Baylor, who really dominated that game from start to finish with their energy, with their physicality, with their size, with their toughness. It wasn't particularly close, but I did think that the headline. And correct me if you disagree, Michael. I thought the headline coming out of the entire NCAA tournament was basically Jalen Suggs' welcome to America, right? Like letting everybody know who he is, putting himself even in a more prominent position on the draft radar, solidifying his spot, which I'm sure wasn't really a question, as a top five pick, and maybe even sneaking his way into some conversations about if he should go number one overall. Michael, I don't know. What did you take from the Jalen Suggs experience, which was obviously capped by that absolutely ridiculous banked-in buzzer-beating three in the Final Four to knock out UCLA? Uh, were you riding the uh, the Suggs uh, bandwagon? Are you in on Jalen Suggs? Are you going to be a skeptic and kind of ruin the party? What say you? So before we get into the Jalen Suggs conversation, um did you fill out a bracket, Ben? No. This is the first year I didn't fill out a bracket in probably 20 years. You know, I hear they say pandemic disrupts life. You know, uh, I really do think that was kind of part of it. I didn't necessarily have anyone to uh, interact with in real life. And, you know, because we're all living here in kind of uh, personal pods around the country, never leaving our apartments. So I just skipped it this year. What about you? 
So normally I am a very humble person, but for the exact reason that you just outlined, the fact that I have not been able to tell anyone about my own personal success Wait, with my bracket. So you won the ESPN billion dollar bracket challenge, Michael? Are you quitting on, live on this show? Well, very close. Oh. I, I won Sports Illustrated's office pool bracket. Oh. <laughs> which uh, I am very proud of because I watched literally zero seconds of college basketball before oh, the March so Madness is, is tournament So is this one began. of those situations, Michael, where you got like a uh, an animal from a local zoo to kind of like look at pictures of the mascots <laughs> and, and make your picks for you? Or was this blind luck? What, what was your strategy so, here with your picks? So no joke, I knew that Gonzaga was really good because they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated and I read the 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 feature by Greg Bishop, which was superb, and they seemed like by far the best team in the field. So I knew I was going to have them go to the championship. And then I was having a conversation with a, a, a friend of mine from college who told me that her young son, who knows absolutely nothing about college basketball because he's like four or five years old, picked Baylor. And I was like, I know nothing, but I feel like I'm just going to pick Baylor, too, so me and him can be on the same side. Yeah, so and... basically you substitute <laughs> toddler with farm animal or zoo animal, and we have your strategy. Just fantastic. All right, great, Michael. Yeah, so that was – I just had to let the world know that I won, and I could not be less – uh, deserving. <laughs> well, most of. of the world was really upset to see Gonzaga's perfect season go poof, and you're over there just cackling with glee because it gives you oh, some yeah. like online bonus points and credibility. Um, no, that makes you rookie of the year, though, right? First year in SI, first title. Now you've got to defend it next year. That's pretty big time. Yeah, no, it is. Um, but I guess this like leads me into my feelings about Suggs, which are, he's not someone that I was very comfortable, like, rooting against. He put the fear of God in me multiple times, Good. even though, um, even though Baylor, I don't know if you watched the whole game, I was glued to it like nobody's business. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, probably Baylor- a $50,000 <laughs> bet of wagering your entire uh, monthly salary on this thing, Michael. Come on. But Baylor, I mean, Baylor was so good. They had great guard play the entire tournament and Suggs I mean I feel like he was the only guy on that team who stepped up and the game probably would have gone or could have gone maybe a different direction had he not picked up two fouls early on that kind of let Baylor jump up to uh, a double digit lead and basically hold it the entire game I thought that was a huge call don't even get Um, me started about the college rules man I mean come on like five fouls he's got to sit for almost like you know half of the first half I mean the second foul was a really bad dumb inexcusable foul the first one was pretty questionable but you know to be in that spot so early it, it definitely put them behind the eight ball they just started slow I think that Baylor's coach he needs to put together like a two hour long video about how he prepared his team to play that particular game. I have never seen a team in a championship game jump out as ready to rock as they were and then sustain their energy just all the way through. I mean, they were playing at a different speed and I don't know if Gonzaga was just dealing with the buzzer beater hangover or what. And I actually thought that, you know, Suggs rallied quite well over the course of that game. I mean, he was he was doing his best, but it just really wasn't fair that Baylor put Lou Dort in a number 45 jersey and had him out there, you know, heads up against uh, Jalen Suggs in the NCAA title game. I mean, what was he supposed to do? Yeah, so um, I agree with all of that. But 
Yeah. Um, Jalen Suggs. Uh, as a draft prospect, he's really interesting because he's this super athletic guard who has pretty good size. He didn't really shoot the three ball particularly well in this one season. And I mean, I, I'm just looking at the numbers. He's 33% three-point shooter, which um, like... I don't know. His shot seems fine to me. I don't want to like overreact to that. I I like his form. I mean, this is not a John Moran situation. You know, this is not like a, hey, it's going to be a three-year project. We've got to retool your your mechanics and all that. I think he looks like a pretty good shooter to me. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not really too uh, concerned there. I think when I'm trying to like compare him to NBA players, like I'd say his ceiling is something like Donovan Mitchell. Was that, is that like too high or do you think that that's, that's a fair comparison there? I view him more in like a a point guard mold. I definitely think he has perennial all-star potential. What I like about him is just the lack of weaknesses. It's a completeness Mm -hmm. to his game and a high IQ, great feel, great competitive motor, uh, gets into it defensively. You know, a lot of these younger point guards, they're really shaded one direction more than the other, and Morant's a great example. Um, the, the biggest question about LaMelo Ball coming in was was defense, and I think he's going to be kind of passable. I think Jalen Suggs has the potential to be a plus offensive player by a lot and also a plus defender, and that is very valuable, and that's something that's really, really easy to build around when you don't have to find, like, three different guys to kind of compensate for your point guard not being able to stop anybody at the point of attack, you're you know you're you're setting your team up for long term success. So, to answer my own question from earlier, I would be pretty interested in in potentially taking this guy number one overall. I understand the added value that kind of comes with the player of Cade Cunningham's size and his skills and everything else. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to just rush to say he needs to be the number one pick no matter what. I mean, Suggs to me is the most complete prospect at the point guard position that we've seen in an awful long time. And that's not to say that Mitchell's not a complete player, but I think Suggs is going to wind up being a better distributor for his teammates than Mitchell. Um, and I think he's probably going to wind up being a, a better defensive player at that one spot uh, than than maybe Mitchell is. Yeah, I think one of the more fascinating things is how the NCAA tournament kind of can amplify a player's uh, perception or reputation and you know if he plays well for a month or something or, or three weeks in a row yeah if he hits just, a Leitner shot everybody falls in love yeah I mean the guy hit the, the what is probably going to go down as the most memorable shot in well they lost the national championship which kind of puts a little bit of a damper on it but yeah a real a great uh, shot a, a real 73 and 9 vibe to these Gonzaga Bulldogs <laughs> and I, I feel bad for them because it's always Stockton finishing second, man. You know, and that piece that you mentioned by Greg Bishop on Gonzaga was just phenomenal. I mean, going into these Sunday ball runs that John Stockton's got organized up in Spokane, where he's teaching the proper fundamentals and values to the next generation of Zags. This seemed like the year they were finally going to do it after mm-hmm. 20-something years of Mark Few, and they come up just short. It was it was heartbreaking. And I'm just really glad it saved your bracket, honestly, because you can throw all the other stuff out the window. Michael Pino won his bracket. Great. No, I thank you. That's exactly how I felt walking away from the tournament, too. But, like, I guess, like, my point is that Suggs plays on this team that is ridiculous. Like, it is the dream team of college basketball. There are multiple players who will play in the NBA who are on his team. 
Uh, I don't know how good they'll be in the NBA, but they will make it. Whereas you look at, you know, I think Cade Cunningham is the number one with a bullet prospect right now and most likely to get selected first overall. Like he played on a team with nobody from my scant research that will ever sniff the NBA and didn't really, you know, he's playing without spacing. He's playing um, where he can be the greatest playmaker who ever lived and guys aren't finishing his ridiculous passes. Uh, And so I think if you were to kind of put him um, in a situation where he's surrounded by more talent, then he would have maybe looked a little bit better than he did, even though by all accounts, he was still absolutely a phenom at uh, at, uh, Oklahoma State. Um, So I think that that's a factor here, and I don't want to get too caught up in March Madness and what a player does or does not do in one single tournament. I'm with you, and just to build on that, I mean, consider the two guys who were on the G League Ignite who didn't get any of that exposure for March Madness, right? I mean, they're completely off the radar, and you, if you run back the hypothetical and you just throw them into the NCAA tournament, how much do the stories change if those guys are, are leading teams as well? It's a, a very fair question. It's actually kind of a fascinating dichotomy, Michael. I mean, the, the players in the G League Ignite, they got the pro quality coaching. They got the contract up front, right? Um, they've got themselves in more NBA-like environment from a strategy standpoint. So they're playing a game mm-hmm. that's going to be closer to the game they're going to play next year once they reach the NBA. But what they really haven't had is the visibility factor, right? And, you know, the NCAA has always kind of defended itself by saying, well, look at this platform for the players, you know, all this exposure and everything else. But this year, I think it's absolutely fair to say that the three guys everyone has talked about the most in the draft process were the three guys who reached the tournament, you know, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Suggs. And nobody was a bigger winner, in my opinion, than Jalen Suggs just because of that shot and because of how deep they went. So I think that you're, you're onto something with the skepticism. I'd flip it around and maybe what you want to do as the, you know, the Brooklyn hipster, um, hip Bayless, as a few of our listeners call you, maybe you want to make the argument what? that these G, <laughs> these G League Ignite guys um, should be the number one pick, Michael, because they're being slept on. First, I gotta I gotta circle back with you there. Is, do listeners actually call me that? You don't share them with me in the emails that you send. Okay, me, okay. One it? listener calls you that. Um, he's <laughs> he's a big Lakers fan. Uh, his name's Tyler. He's great. He's still not over you picking against his Lakers in all four rounds last year. So I think he started calling you Hit Bayless uh, because of the Brooklyn okay. ties. Um, I think it's a term of endearment. Okay, I don't think he's he's being mean. No, of course. And Tyler, you have not seen anything yet. Um, with regards to my pr- predictions <laughs> for the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, but I think what you said about the the G League players who I've I like totally have blocked out and have never seen play basketball before well, is really how fascinating. How are we supposed to see them? That's the thing. Like that's that's a big part of this problem. I don't know if they need like a showcase game for these guys, right? Or they need to come up with some sort of a way to just get everybody's attention on them at a certain moment, but they are completely off the radar. There, there's no way around it. I, I receive more emails about that team from the NBA than anything. Like text oh. messages from my mom. Very uh, interesting. Phone calls from my wife. Like it's the G League email from that team. Like updates on like box scores and who won and what who their upcoming opponent is. Like it is. 
I'm getting inundated. I've not been like, I feel like this would be a bigger topic of conversation if I was seeing people in person and I could make <laughs> fun of just how often I'm getting them. But it's just something I've noticed throughout, throughout the, uh, throughout the pandemic. Well, it's that, just, it's, that's fascinating because I was going to blame them for not tooting their own horn, but it sounds like I'm just completely zoning out all of their emails and I'm not even seeing them. It's just like, you know, kind of, <laughs> it's almost, uh, you know, like the, the Christmas special emails that you get, you know, from Harry and David and they're hitting you every single two mm-hmm. days and they did not pay for that plug by the way. But, you know, it just gets to be so much that eventually your eyes glaze over. You're not even paying attention. Um, so I guess maybe that's where I'm at with the G leaking night. Maybe it's a me problem, not a them problem. It could be. It, that said, I've never watched them play once, so the the mass spamming has not worked with me. Um, I'm oh. kind of just waiting for these guys to get to the league. I don't. I don't care. I'm. I'm. I'm not really a, a G League a file. Just okay. Yet. So in the final analysis on Suggs, you're saying mm-hmm. exercise caution because he was set up with an incredible cast of teammates. He was bound to get all of the attention. Um, because of the style of his play, because of the quality of his team, and because of the NCAA uh, format, can you resist? Would you consider taking him number one, or is that off the table? What do you think? To be honest, it's probably off the table for me. Like, I, I think where the league is and where the league is going for the next 10 years, like, if you have a Cade Cunningham, you're just set. Like, that is the easiest type of piece to build around. That's, like, I mean, it's so silly to make these comparisons, but he's like Luka. He's like a 6'8", or LeBron. He's like a 6'8", pass-first, brilliant basketball player. Um, Not supremely athletic from everything I've read, but just has great instincts, can shoot the three ball, can score when he wants. Um, I don't like defensively, he can guard all five positions. So, like, what, what am I like? Wh- why would you not take him? It just seems like he's so obviously the number one pick. And uh, yeah, so it's, for me, it's just it's going to be Kate Cunningham almost regardless of what team gets the first selection. Totally fair enough. And I think that's probably the way it's going to wind up shaking out. I mean, it's really tough when you're a bad team and you're in a position to draft number one. You look at the James Harden track record with the Rockets. You look at what Luka is doing in terms of consistent winning with the Dallas Mavericks. And you just tell yourself, look, I mean, this guy is going to raise our floor pretty darn high and it's going to make it really easy to build around him and have elite offenses as long as we've got that one guy as our centerpiece. That is really, really difficult to resist. There was nobody in last year's draft that really had that total package. And even LaMelo Ball, who rightfully got a lot of extra attention, is not really in that mold. He's more of a a kind of a passing Mm -hmm. playmaker style guy, doesn't have that physical presence, even though he's big for his position. And so I do think you're going to see a little hesitation with that number one pick. I'm with you. Okay, so if we're not having Suggs in the number one pick conversation... Where should he land, right? And so I went through and and did this exercise looking at all the teams that were in the lottery, like what were the dream fits for him? Um, And I wrote this up for the Washington Post this week. You guys can go check that out. If I I asked you, like, what are your top three landing spots for Jalen Suggs? Like, which teams really need a point guard? Where do you think he would fit the best? Which teams come to mind right off the top? Are you going to be upset with me if I again turn my attention towards just creating the most chaotic scenario possible is this something where like boston misses the playoffs <laughs> wins the number one no. pick and then you can trade kemba and actually have a chance is that where you're going or <laughs> damn no no that's not where i was going um my 
Uh, my th- I have three teams here that kind of popped into my head, and two of them are just I-, I want the chaos factor. And this goes back to our last conversation. My number one team is the Wizards. I'm sorry. I I would just love for the Wizards to get Suggs and then be like, okay, now we're going to trade Bradley Beal. Like, that's what's going to happen. Um, that just makes the league more fun. So And, uh, and it- buy out Westbrook. So this yeah. is the, this is the Captain Chaos move. So tell me on the timeline because I was thinking about the Wizards too, but the timeline part of it is what I really couldn't wrap my minds around. Right. So right now, uh-huh. Washington is seventeen and thirty-two. They're multiple games back from even the play-in race. It seems very unlikely they're going to be able to make a push. They haven't generated much momentum coming out of the second half of the season, um, and frankly, they're just not very good. They're just, you know, you can't count on Westbrook every night. Everybody gets really excited when he plays well. And then just everybody closes their eyes the other three out of four nights. Right. Um, it will be a complete overhaul for them if they were going to take sucks. I mean, that's stripping it all the way down to the studs. If they do that, I'm not sure their ownership group has a stomach for it. So if you were trying to pitch it to owner Ted Leonsis and be like, I know you've tried to avoid rebuilding and it really hasn't gotten us anywhere. Um, here's my plan. Like, what are you looking for from Beal? Are you trading him immediately this summer? How much money are you trying to convince him to swallow on Westbrook? Are you going to keep Westbrook around for a year to kind of, uh, you know, act as a, a lead mentor for a Jalen Suggs? Like, how are you pulling this off, practically speaking? I am calling the Golden State Warriors, and I'm saying, give me Weissman, Wiggins, and the Timberwolves pick. And you've got yourself a deal. Wow! And then I'm ha- I'm having Suggs. I have Weissman. I have whoever I get with that Timberwolves pick, which could be uh, I, I don't. It could be one of those players on the G League team that we were just referencing. Well, Michael, uh, what I would do though before you make that call to Golden State, I would call your your mm-hmm. video coordinator. And I would say, I need you to get real creative with the special effects. I need to have a package of highlights that actually make James Wiseman look good that I can show to ownership. (laughs) Because if he's been watching any games, he's not finding a lot of footage there, Michael. It's going to have to be a a heavily edited, you know, sort of like a a Matrix-style production. Potentially, yes. I'm still a a James Wiseman believer. It has been a rough ride. Uh, there's just no denying it. It's been it's been a tough season for him. It's been a tough season for the Warriors. But like, if I'm starting over, that's a pretty good foundation where I'm just like in like where am I in three four years? Um, I'm going to be a very good basketball team. I'm going to have these guys for their prime. These like top five lotto pick talents, and they they're complementary. They don't overlap. It just makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, you got a lot of pick and roll possibilities there. You've got the athleticism factor pushing the tempo. And also importantly for Wiseman, there's no pressure in that situation, right? If you go to the Wizards and it's stripped down to the studs, well, you're in a great situation then. Uh, You don't have to worry about all this pressure. Are we going to be able to be a title-winning supporting cast for Steph Curry? None of that. So I actually do like that idea, Um, you know, kind of for both sides, frankly. It just fits Golden State's timeline better and and Washington would have, you know, a decent base to start from. Um, I do wonder, I mean, are you, are you really convinced that Suggs, Wiseman is a team? Like, how long does it take that group to make the playoffs? Hmm. I mean, that's a good question. I, I like the, the, 
not as long as you think because they have Davis Bertans under contract and he's just this <laughs> yeah. absolute flamethrower. Rock, rock solid veteran leader <laughs> Davis Bertans. Well, maybe they'll just keep expanding the playoffs, Michael, and eventually Washington will make it, right? If you can bring in like maybe 14 teams from each conference, the Wizards can sneak in. Um, okay, we're, we're joking. I do like that idea. So you would buy out Westbrook basically immediately then and just swallow that one or or try to trade him or what would you do there? I mean, Westbrook's really fascinating, and this is something I've been thinking of writing on at at some point here about, like, we can go down a rabbit hole here, so I'll avoid that, but, like, the Westbrook buyout in terms of is he even motivated to be bought out, and based on some of the comments he's recently made about actually winning a title, and, like, I I think that situation is going to be so fascinating as it rolls out. And I don't know if buying him out is even like a possibility. Like, I, I, I find it to be just so interesting, because unlike Blake, or even LaMarcus Aldridge, like, Russell Westbrook, you can't just like throw him onto a contender, right? Like, even if he's, it's just, I, I, I like my it's brain gonna is be, breaking gonna be a late, now just thinking about it. It's going to be a late career Iverson type situation for Westbrook, where he just lands in mm. some weird situations, and you're like, "Huh, okay, Memphis Grizzlies Iverson. Let's see what this is about. Let's see how it goes." Because uh, yeah, I think from a contender standpoint, there's probably not going to be a lot of interest given his need to dominate the ball and the defensive side. I mean, he does have a lot of relationships around the league, so sometimes that can kind of like come through and, and land you a spot, but. I would just worry if you have Suggs coming in to a new organization, you want to give him the car keys pretty quickly and trying to imagine a backcourt duo with him and Westbrook. That's pretty messy. Sorry, Captain Chaos. I don't really like this idea. What's your number two uh, selection? <laughs> um, I mean, I could go in a million different directions here. I-, I think that the Toronto Raptors would be... There you go, Michael. You nailed terrific. it. That was That was my number one. So explain why. Well... Like, they're already good. It, not this season, but they have really good players. They have a championship coach. They have uh, one of the more admirable uh, cultures in the league and player development systems. And Kyle Lowry is really old, and he's not going to be there much longer. I don't, I mean, I feel like if they were to actually get some luck in the lottery and have a chance to draft someone like Suggs, like, you know. Lowry might just bounce and then they just lose him for nothing. I've, I've kind of assumed this whole time that they were going to re-sign him for a one-year or a two-year deal. But just this rip the Band-Aid off, Michael. I think it's a perfect secession plan. If you can get Suggs yeah. and you go forward, your backcourt is Suggs, Van Vliet, then you've got Anunobi, Gary Tran Jr. if you can re-sign him, and Pascal Siakam, and Boucher. That is a squat. Like you're set up pretty nicely. Like that's a playoff team probably in Suggs' first season, I would guess. Because um, I, I don't think that they're going to have as much turbulence as they had this year, and, and they're certainly better than their record. Um, I know people like to point out that their point differential, I believe, is still positive, even though they're so far below 500. It's crazy, but that tells you like they're going to be poised for a bounce back year next year, kind of no matter what. And it's time to move forward. I understand everybody wanted to get really sentimental at the trade deadline with Kyle Lowry. How's that working out for you? What's the point of that? You know, I, I think it's time for the next chapter. Don't delay any longer. I think that the Toronto Raptors would be the dream fit for Suggs. I mean, can you imagine the backcourt, Van Vliet, Suggs? I mean, just in terms of the IQ, the competition factor, the two-way factor, shooting, playmaking, do a little bit of everything. 
I can just picture that being beautiful. And I think that you, know, you look at Suggs and the talent he had around him at Gonzaga that you mentioned earlier, it was a really balanced egalitarian offense. He's kind of used to that. You know, you don't want to throw him out there and mm-hmm. ask him to score 25, 28 points a game. That's exactly how Toronto is going to be playing going forward, right? They're going to be having a whole bunch of people in double figures for these uh, you know, next few years going forward, just like they have this year. I kind of think it's perfect. Yeah, and I don't want to get our Raptors fan listeners um, angry at me, but then you have a situation where maybe you want to go backwards a little bit and you could move on from Siakam and see what you can get for him. Um, so I, I think it just oh. adds a lot of flexibility. But and you, you wouldn't remember be- months ago when we were talking about Siakam to the Nuggets as a possibility? Has the mm. Aaron Gordon to the Nuggets um, scenario proven that idea to be like the greatest idea in the history of podcast ideas? Like Siakam on the Nuggets, given how well Aaron Gordon has fit in there and how well they're playing, I think it's five straight wins right now for the Denver Nuggets uh, since grabbing him. I mean, imagine if that was Siakam. Be wild. I was secretly hoping this was just going to be an Aaron Gordon episode. <laughs> He's so he's ridiculous. It's like um, we kind of we kind of called that a little bit with just if you put him on a different team, especially one with Nikola Jokic, who I mean, strictly based on like the last five games or four games or whatever it is and how he is single handedly transformed um, just who what Aaron Gordon can be as a player. Uh, like Jokic is just like clearly the MVP in my eyes now. Michael, um, I mean, you laughed when I compared him to the Amazon leggings, the magical Amazon leggings, but it's true. I'm still going to laugh at that. It, it makes everybody <laughs> around him look better. All of a sudden, Aaron Gordon looks like an all-star. It's great. Give me your third landing spot and uh, be prepared for me to yell at you if you don't pick the team I'm thinking of. Okay. Um, well, I, I know your list, I think. So oh, perfect. I have a... a I have a pretty good idea of <laughs> what team you're going to choose. So I'm going to try to go in a different direction here. Um, this is not. This is a team that we, we barely ever mention, so that's why I'm picking them. But going along the same theme of, of, of just pure chaos and dysfunction, I, I would love to see the Cleveland Cavaliers take Michael, him. Well, are you just picking the worst fits? You're not picking the best fits. <laughs> no, no, no. What is no, this no. lineup going to be? Out. I mean, they're going to have they're going to have Garland, they're going to have Sexton, they're going to have Suggs playing power forward probably in your lineup. This is not going to work. So this is how it goes. Like you this is a scenario now where Darius Garland or Colin Sexton, we finally break them up, which was always inevitable, and we get to see where one of those guys lands and there's a ripple effect and I love ripple effects in the NBA when it comes to players getting drafted and then that leads to subsequent trades immediately and both those guys are really talented Uh, Garland had 37 last night granted against a Spurs team that was resting half of its starting lineup but Uh, um, best night of his life too we've been waiting a while for Garland to have a game like that (laughs) we have we have but I, I like him I like Sexton and I just think this would be a fun place for uh, for Suggs to go. And I always need a reason to watch the Cleveland Cavaliers, and, and Suggs would give me that. So well, that would be another uh, appreciation on my part. This would be a fun way for you to get fired if you did this, Michael. I mean, come on. This is exactly what <laughs> Phoenix did with Isaiah Thomas and Dragic and Bledsoe and then 
you know, it blows up. You just, you can't do that, Michael. I'm sorry. That's, and also if you're that GM, Kobe Altman, how do you sell that to ownership? You're like, hey, guess what? Another point guard. Here we go. Third time's a charm. I, I feel like it's untenable. Potentially, but, you know, as for what we've talked about this whole time is like Suggs has, he's just a different type of player, right? He's like the grimy uh, defender. Um, He's got athleticism that someone like Garland doesn't have. I just, I think that he is a more complimentary backcourt piece for one of those guys and he's bigger and he's longer. And uh, yeah, so that's why... I'm going with the Cavs, and I could go in a million different directions, but um, well, you're you're basically trying to do what Denver did actually, which is take Murray and then figure out the Moutier situation down the road, right? So mm. you're saying, all right, you know, we're going to come to training camp, Suggs is going to beat everybody out, and then we're going to find out which one of these guys is expendable and trade the other one. It's not impossible, but it's not as clean as I would like it to be. Can I tell you the right answer, the one that you should have just taken right off my list <laughs> yes. and gone with? Because <laughs> yes. I I know deep down you agree with me. What if the New Orleans Pelicans somehow, I mean, I know that they've been, you know, playing a little bit better. They're, they're creeping up into that play-in conversation in the West with Golden State gonna, falling apart. So I don't mean to cut you off, but the Pelicans are going to make the playoffs. Not even the play-in, they're going to make the playoffs. Wow. I, just, I, want it, I, want it, I want it down on the record right here. This is from the bracket master himself, Michael Pina. All right, <laughs> everybody, you know, put it in Sharpie. He's ready to go. Um, I love that pick. Uh, but don't you think that this wouldn't even be a question if Zion didn't have the worst point guard core in the league, basically? Um, what if you had Suggs in there doing all the things people wish Eric Bledsoe was capable of doing? Pretty much on Zion's timeline, albeit a couple of years younger, there is going to be a little bit of a short-term sacrifice. And I know you've been all in on this idea of like win now, win now, win now with the Pelicans mm-hmm. around Zion because he's such a big impact maker. Mm-hmm. But I think the the biggest thing long term is to find that running mate that the Pelicans never really found for Anthony Davis. Could Suggs be a better running mate than say Drew Holiday was down there in New Orleans, where you kind of keep Zion happy, you go through a seven or eight year window of competing as Suggs gets up to uh, speed, his shooting winds up creating the spacing that New Orleans has lacked so far this year. You get Zion on both sides of pick and rolls, where he's not just creating off the dribble, but now he's this role man. You know, just putting unbelievable amounts of pressure on defense uh, with, with Suggs orchestrating. And then you also need defense down there in New Orleans. They've been looking for it for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And Suggs brings that too. That feels like a really, really clean fit, Michael. It does. So I guess my questions are number one, are we sure Zion needs a point guard? And if I'm trying to put a backcourt player around him, like a traditional one or whatever, I'm I might just be more interested in a Patrick Beverly type, like someone who's just comfortable being off the ball, who can hit the spot up three, who's relatively cheap, who will defend his position, but not play point guard on offense because that's what Zion's going to do. Um, does that does that seem like a potential like path here for Zion in his career? The answer is teams always need point guards. I mean, what have we just said about this Clippers team that did have Patrick Beverly? God, they need a point guard. They better go out and trade multiple second-round picks to get Rajon Rondo five years after he was good, you know? Um, I just think, like, I, I know what you're saying. He's going to be kind of a lead 
playmaker, a lead decision maker for your offense for a long time. I just think that maybe you would be kind of walking Zion towards what we've seen with uh, Giannis here in the past couple of years, where it's like the burden is so Mm -hmm. heavy, everything is going towards the basket. You've got to have a little bit more offensive diversity in terms of how you're scoring your points. You've got to have somebody else help make his life easier. And, you know, now you're struggling to find that player because you're no longer picking, you know, near the top Mm -hmm. of the lottery. So this seems like an, an outrageously good opportunity for New Orleans to add exactly that kind of player. And they may have a, a hard time recruiting that type um, in free agency, you know, given some of the salaries they've already given out and, and given New Orleans' struggles, you know, basically to recruit free agents in the past. What about the idea, and this is going to be the last one we're going to toss out there. I was thinking about Oklahoma City. What if... Sure. Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Jalen Suggs was just the most interchangeable backcourt of all time. Two complete playmakers, do it all. They take turns. It's kind of like a new agey, more two-way version of like a Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum in Portland where like you're really building hard around your backcourt. Don't you think that that would be pretty interesting building uh, block for Oklahoma City? And this could very easily happen, by the way. I mean, they're going to be in a full tank mode right now. They're losing every game by 30 points. So they're going to be in position to have a really high pick themselves, and they could also get Houston's pick. What do you think about that pairing? I know it's not kind of that conventional backcourt of point guard you know, and, and shooting guard, but I would like it more than the Cavaliers um, pairing that you mentioned earlier just because of the size factor, the two-way factor, and both guys can shoot the ball a little bit too. No, I mean, first of all, I think that if you're – building your team like thinking that you need a traditional point guard and a traditional shooting guard you're doing it wrong and you will not be a general manager for a very long time um like you compare them to dame and cj i think that it's unfair to say that both those guys suggs and shea will ever be well shea is already just an absolute phenom offensively but it's unfair to say that they'll ever be quite as good in terms of just offensive explosiveness and just the versatility in which they can score from all these different spots on the floor. But defensively, I think Suggs is, that's like where I keep going back to that because that is so valuable. And there's so few players who um, are that size with that offensive game who also bring it on the other end. So like if you're providing Marcus Smart-esque defense, while also being an efficient 18 point per game scorer, six assists a night, like you're, that's just, I don't even know who's like that. That's a very special piece. So, I, like, I love the, the interchangeability that you referenced there. That's a really good, uh, that would be a really good destination for Suggs. Absolutely. Um, real quick, going back to New Orleans before we move on, how would this impact Lonzo Ball? in your eyes like would they still re-sign Lonzo or they just say they would they kick him to the curb just like how would that go well my dream would be that they would pay Lonzo trade Ingram and have Suggs and it would just be awesome and then everything's set up way better around Zion (laughs) than it is currently um how would it actually play out in practice I would imagine that they would try to pay Lonzo I mean if I were them I would um you know they're gonna need what he brings to the table they're gonna have a massive hole if they don't have that player I, I think Lonzo should be kind of in that off-the-ball role regardless. I would have Suggs, you know, running the offense. I would feel much better about that than having Lonzo run the offense. So I would like it better, uh, personally. And what would you do? 
I would probably do the same thing. I mean, I've uh, this whole time I've kind of not understood why they wouldn't pay Lonzo, and I I want to see what Lonzo's next contract's going to look like. But I'm with you. You sign the guy who's the restricted free agent, and if it doesn't work out, you can always move him at a later date. But yeah, and, and you um, can also trade Bledsoe too. And look, like getting off his salary could be mm, tough, but they have extra picks, so that's the guy. I oh would, yeah, I would move. You know, it's just like all right, probably send him to Oklahoma City where everybody else goes. You know, here's an extra pick to take him off our hands, and then you just plug in and move forward. I, I do want to just mention here at the very end of the conversation, look, the Minnesota Timberwolves and their fans, I'm sure, are salivating at the idea of a homecoming for Suggs. He's from St. Paul, Minnesota, Michael. I believe he's going to have a chance to be the best player from Minnesota ever, with the possible exception of Kevin McHale. That's a lofty Whoa, okay, bar, yeah. okay? So it might be second to that Boston Celtics legend, Kevin <laughs> I was McHale. I about to jump out of my seat. But look, there's, I mean... Uh, there is not a lot of depth from that state in terms of uh, mm-hmm. basketball talent. Like, you know, he, Kevin McHale is just like head and shoulders. I mean, literally and figuratively above everybody else from that state. So um, that, you know, remember how excited they got about Tyus Jones and, and drafting him and bringing him in with that local angle. There's a lot of sentimentality in the air up there and he's exactly what they need. It would get messy, though, and they'd probably have to trade Russell. Um, you know, they'd probably have to start considering mm. reconfiguring the the roster around Suggs and Edwards, and maybe they'd have to start eyeing, you know, into the future horizon, a possibility of a Carl Anthony Towns trade. I don't know, but I can see the fans that have had a really, really tough three-year stretch, well, 20-year stretch, but especially the last couple <laughs> of years there in Minnesota. That's exactly what they would want, don't you think? Yes, uh, that would be fun. Um, the Timberwolves, if they do um, keep their pick, I, I'm that, that's one team I'm just absolutely fascinated about, like what type of player they're going to take and whether or not they actually care about who's already on the roster or whether or not they... I mean, when your record is what their record is, like you should just take the best player available and then let the chips fall where they may. But they... I don't know, like they have a lot of money um, allocated in like players who aren't necessarily like super young. I mean, Russell's 24 and Towns is 25, but, uh, you know, it's not the same thing as a bunch of 19 year olds. And so they're like straddling this weird, we want to win now, but we're not even close to winning now. And Uh, is there any hope of winning with those guys? That's the other question too. I mean, that's just the toughest part is like, we haven't really seen a track record of those guys, you know, driving wins because they can't stay on the court together. And so it just makes you question the whole plan. And it definitely makes the idea of going even younger uh, that much more enticing, even though I'm sure Timberwolves fans are thinking, well, we've already rebuilt eight times here in the last 20 years. Like, what are you asking for? But um, you know, it, it might be the smart play, but you're kind of referencing just this insane heartbreak scenario that could wind up happening with the draft, Michael. What if Minnesota lands fourth? And if they had to land third in the draft order, they get sucks because Cunningham goes one, Mobley goes two, and they get the hometown kid, number three, which is, you know, playing the lead playmaker position that they need to fill. But if they slip one spot in the draft order to four, Golden State gets their pick and they don't get sucks. Like, is there a team that's facing more just like a do or die type situation than the Minnesota Timberwolves right now? I mean, that would be that's the existential crisis moment right there. That's like, I don't, 
man, it's depressing to even think about, and I don't really care about the Timberwolves. Yeah. Two, <laughs> so. two, two roads diverged in the woods, and one of them just ended with like a bear attack. You know what I mean? It's just that's just not great at all. <laughs> there are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, Michael, we've spent enough time pondering the future of Jalen Suggs. Awesome player. I can't wait for the pre-draft process to hear all the buzz about how well he does in the interviews and how much everybody likes him and how he, you know, his three-point shot looks better. I feel like there's going to be a lot of hype around this guy as we go forward the next couple of months. And what an incredible shot. I'm sure all the Open Floor Globe members enjoyed that as much as we did. Um, let's shift gears and talk about Drew Holiday because he did sign a massive four-year contract extension with the Milwaukee Bucks over the weekend. Uh, With the incentives, it goes up to $160 million reportedly. Um, It sounds like it's worth at least $135 million, according to ESPN.com. Michael, we spent a lot of time last week discussing the NBA's best and worst contracts. So I'm just going to put this question to you directly. Is Drew Holiday now the owner of one of the NBA's worst contracts as we speak? It's so funny, before I answer that question, it's so funny that we were just spent all that time talking about Jalen Suggs and we never made the Drew Holiday comparison. Well, I was about <laughs> to do it because you were talking about the Marcus Smart defensive skill set and a guy who averages 18 points a game on offense, and I was like, I know exactly one player who fits that. That's, <laughs> yeah, that slipped my mind. Um, so that's funny. That's literally what, the, like, the perfect comp is Drew Holiday there, but... Um, is Drew Holiday's contract one of the NBA's worst now? I, I mean, like in a vacuum, yes. I think it's it's really impossible to, to argue 
to the contrary. I mean, he's about to turn 31 years old. Everyone knows that he's never made an all-NBA team. He hasn't made an all-star team in like 10 years or something like that, very close to that. He's only made one in his career. Um, but then, of course, like you factor in the particulars, which is that the Bucks like act- like absolutely had to extend or re-sign Drew Holiday this summer. And um, like because of everything that they gave up to get him and they wouldn't never have had an opportunity to replace him because of the contracts that they have for Middleton and for Lopez and for Giannis, of course. So it's kind of like this could have been worse potentially, I believe. Like if he were to hit unrestricted free agency um, this summer, would a team out is there a team out there that would have just straight up given him like a four year max and paid him even more and then he would have gone I, I don't back think to the Bucks so. and said, I, I don't think so because he could have just waited if that was the case. You know what I mean? I, I feel like they pretty much squeezed every dollar they were gonna be able to get out of Holiday. Because I think if you're willing to pay Holiday that much money, you have to be in exactly the spot Milwaukee's in, which is one piece away, right? Or needing to solidify that third star to chase a title because otherwise he doesn't really make a lot of sense for you. He's not a player who's going to carry a lottery team and turn them into this contender. He's not a team guy who's going to lift up a second tier, uh, tier contender into mm-hmm. the the top tier. He's exactly like they found a really good landing spot for him in Milwaukee. And I thought it was great work by his agent and him to create that leverage advantage that you're talking about. The Bucks, after trading all that stuff for him, had to pay him. They didn't really have mm-hmm. much ability to negotiate um, things down. Uh, he's going to wind up being one of the, I think, top 10 or 12 paid players next season. There's really no way to justify that in terms of you know the vacuum conversation that you're talking about, but he's absolutely worth it to Milwaukee because if they don't have him, they're stuck. It reminds me a lot of the Tobias Harris situation a couple of years ago, Michael, and we did bring up his name in kind of that you know controversial worst contracts conversation uh, where it's like, look, I mean, he's playing very well. He's a nice guy but limited playoff track record and is he going to be able to step up when it really counts those are kind of open questions and like would he ever be able to carry a team by himself the answer is no there's a lot of parallels there and and Philadelphia had to talk themselves into that contract for Harris because they needed that third piece to go with their uh, you know Simmons and Embiid I think it's almost history repeating itself you know when it comes to uh, you know Holiday there in Milwaukee the other comp that I was thinking of, do you remember when Kyle Lowry got like a three-year, $90 million deal in 2017? He was 30 years old, which is the same age as Holiday is currently. And a lot of people raised their eyebrows and was like, how the heck is this guy going to be worth $30 million? Once they got to like year three of that contract, I don't think anybody mm-hmm. was was questioning how much it was because they were consistently winning and because you know ultimately it paid off with the title. And that sort of gives you carte blanche on all your spending decisions, right? Um, is there a scenario you could see, Michael, where this age is similarly for for Drew Holiday, where maybe the NBA's ec- economics continue to grow? You know, coming out of the pandemic, forty million dollars sounds like a lot per year now, but maybe two years from now it doesn't seem so bad. Maybe Milwaukee makes an Eastern Conference Finals or a Finals, or even potentially wins a championship, and then no one's upset at the deal at all. Could you see Holiday kind of following that same Kyle Lowry path? Or do you uh, do you think it could get a little bit dicier? I think it could follow the Lowry path for sure. I mean, I think the Milwaukee Bucks can win a championship at some point over the next couple seasons. Absolutely. 
I don't know if they will. Um, I think it's also really difficult to grade this contract without kind of looking at the domino effect and uh, of how we got here and how the Bucks position themselves to be so desperate as to give up the, <laughs> the number of picks that they did to acquire him and put themselves in this situation. And you can go back to, you can go all the way back to um, like Eric Bledsoe's four years. Was it like, was it four years? It was like four years, $70 was, million, dollar was 70 million dollars. Yeah. Over four yeah. years. They gave that to him without seeing him play a playoff game. At the time, it seemed somewhat wise because they were going to have to make choices on which guys to pick. But after, you know, he played terribly in that playoffs two months later and it wound up costing them Brogdon, that one just blew up in their yeah. face. You're right. They're not really positioning themselves here to land Holiday. It's more like they're running away from disaster after disaster. They're dodging anvils and then boom, here they are with the with the only choice left of them, which is to pay him. Right. So I, I can't even, I mean, I, I fault them for a lot of the other decisions that they've made. I do not fault them for re-signing Drew Holiday to this deal. Like that's any GM in this exact situation would do this. Like I, there's no other option. It, like that's just kind of what it is. Um, I, I I see the comparison to the Tobias Harris situation. And I don't think that this is as problematic because, well, for one, I think that Drew Holiday is just a better player and he's a better fit in the playoffs. Like his game is just more ideal for that environment in most matchups. And like, I don't know, like if, if you just get into like the nitty gritty of what happened with Philly, like they could have had Jimmy Butler instead and they chose Tobias Harris because of everything they gave up to get him. And it's kind of the same exact thing where you kind of you're not necessarily criticizing the contract. You're criticizing the steps that led to the contract. And once the contract is signed like that, it was very predictable because the team had no leverage in the situation. So um, it's a tough one for the Bucks, but it just it was necessary and good for Drew Holiday for getting his money. And if I was just, you know, comparing this on a on a spreadsheet with other contracts, it would not be one that I would want on my team if I was just starting from scratch. Well, well for sure. It, it ramps up the risk factor, and it's going to make it much harder for them to build out their bench. I mean, we already saw that this season where they're making compromises on you know lesser quality players, and you know their bench scoring winds up tumbling this year compared to last year. I mean, they're a much more top-heavy roster now, and they will be even more so once Holiday's new contract kicks in. I mean, they're going to be paying... Middleton, Giannis, and Holiday each more than $30 million per year. There aren't very many teams in that spot paying big threes like that. And the ones that are can find themselves in tricky situations pretty quickly. Philly is a great example. Ben Simmons gets hurt in last year's playoffs. They get swept in the first round. They have no ability to compensate for his absence. Tobias Harris doesn't step up. They're just kind of dead in the water. You look at Golden State, they had no chance this season. As soon as Clay Thompson went down, it just put too much pressure on their other two good players, Steph Curry and Draymond Green, to kind of carry the whole load. You know, they're making compromises everywhere else on their roster, even though they were willing to pay not only Wiggins a big number, um, but also Oubre, uh, you know, to, to take him on with the luxury tax. And they still weren't deep enough to keep their head above water in the Western Conference. So that basically just tells you the Bucks' entire formula here comes down to they need their three stars to all remain completely healthy. And they need those guys to be functioning at peak capabilities during the playoffs. Otherwise, they're not going to have a, a shot at a title. 
even with these guys, even with paying Holiday this big price. And that's a significant level of risk. But as you said earlier, something they had to do. So let me ask you, over the course of this Holiday contract, you know, this year plus the next four, what percentage chance do you give the Bucks of winning a title during that time period? In other words, how do we justify this one for Milwaukee to say, you know what, you can go ahead and grin and bear this deal because it gives you X percentage of actually, uh, you know, achieving the ultimate goal of, of getting the championship? Well, so I guess that's four bites at the apple, right? Um, yeah, so I think they have at least three, including this year before Middleton is up. Um, mm. So, and then they've got Giannis longer and they've got Holiday longer. So I think ultimately, if they're going to have to shake things up, it'll probably be after Middleton's contract is up. Um, but, you know, that's that's a decent window, especially in the modern NBA where guys are moving every two years. Right. So, you know, three, four years, et cetera. Like, I, I don't know. I think the iterations of the team will be, um, will shift over that time, particularly with Brooke Lopez kind of fading out. And uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with, with him, his role and his money. Um, but I mean, I, I wrote down here 15%. Um, is that too low to you or is that too high or just, I guess like for me, I factored in again, like this isn't just one season here. And if you kind of look at the prognostications, you know, 538 has the Bucks with a 9% chance today of winning the championship, which seems fair enough. That, that I, seems say. low to me, don't you think? Well, it's like if one th- injury with Brooklyn and Milwaukee has a great chance to win the East, we don't know what's going on with the Lakers. The Clippers, you know, they can't stop tripping over their own feet. Denver looks pretty awesome right now, so they need to be in this conversation. And Utah has been rock solid all season long, but I think that they're probably closer to, you know, 15 to 20% than 9%. That's high. I think that's a little high because we, there's, I mean, you, there's a lot of variables you just threw out there, like if the Nets have an injury. <laughs> so it's like, well, guess which what, is possible. Michael, no, they've it's possible. had a few it's injuries possible. this year. They can't keep any other guys on the court. I'm still waiting to see Kevin Durant. Ben months. I know, I know, it's possible. But there's also the Sixers. There's the Heat. I think there's there's some good teams in the East that I did not mention. My beloveds. Um, People are sleeping on so, the Milwaukee Bucks, including you, Michael. Uh, that's just disrespect. They're better than 9%. Go fix your 538 <laughs> formula and get back to me. Okay, so that factored into kind of what I have here. But I think 15% is is fair-ish. Maybe it's a little low because we're talking about three different seasons or four different seasons and opportunities. And I think that, like, I think Giannis will continue to improve, one would hope. The fear there is that Chris Middleton's best days are behind him. The fear is that Holiday will start to decline because he's not young anymore. And Dante DiVincenzo's contract, he's going to need a new contract soon. So I don't know what's going to happen there. And and I already mentioned Lopez and how they're going to kind of shapeshift on the fly because they're going to need to at some point because like playing Giannis at the five is just what's going to happen. Like They're going to learn in the playoffs this year that that's their lineup. Brooke Lopez will be benched for multiple playoff series, in my opinion. And uh, we'll see how it goes. And who knows, like the head coach could be a situation that is also in flux, as we've discussed many times. So I think with all the variables, with all the things that can change from year to year in the NBA, 15% seems fair to me. 
feels a little low. I'm willing to go up to 25%, and I'll say this. Here's why. I just think Giannis is going to be the, one of the most rock-solid stars that you've got over this next window, right? And LeBron's injured now. I mean, he had incredible health last year. Every year that passes, you wonder how well is he going to be able to maintain that health going forward. Same issue with the Clipper stars kind of getting older, and they've you know they, they've got themselves in a situation where they're not nearly as deep as they were last year. And, uh, you know, Brooklyn obviously is looming as the big powerhouse here, and they could consolidate their power and have a really nice title run for the next couple of years. But I think Milwaukee's positioned quite well solely on the strength of Giannis as a player to be in the mix. Now, I mean, Denver is another team that we probably need to be mentioning more than we do or more than we have anyways in terms of this title window run. Like, do you think that they're in a situation where they can compete now for titles for the next three, four years um, with Porter's ascendance and with Gordon's addition. I mean, ultimately, they're going to have to choose whether to pay both those guys down the road, but they've got themselves a core group that looks like it could be very, very sustainable. So, okay, maybe 25% is too high, but I would go at least 20 <laughs> It's pretty high. I, You know, you're mentioning a lot of teams in the Western Conference. I'm, I'm more focused on the Nets, honestly. I'm more focused on seeing what happens with the Heat, seeing what happens with the Celtics, well, seeing that's what a, happens that's a great point. with the Sixers. If the Nets hadn't traded for Harden, would anybody be blinking about Holiday's contract, right? Because that would be like, oh, Milwaukee's consolidating their grip on the Eastern Conference, you know, because Brooklyn wouldn't be nearly as good without Harden. So I almost feel like the the Harden trade forced Milwaukee's hand to a certain degree, like they have to have a big three to keep up with Brooklyn's. And it also maybe undercut some of the credit they would have gotten had Brooklyn never traded for Harden because everybody would be saying, well, this is the powerhouse team. Yeah. Um, I mean, the holiday trade happened before the Harden trade and also to add some context, obviously, they made that trade thinking that they were also going to get Bogdan Bogdanovich. So I have always wondered if they, you know, if they could go back and just undo everything, would they really give up three first round picks for an opportunity to pay a 31 year old point guard $160 million? Probably not, I would imagine, but who knows? I kind of think they would, honestly, because I mean, their options, (laughs) well, look, their options to get a third star were tough. I mean, remember the other guy out there was Chris Paul and he's had a phenomenal season. He's been better than Drew Holiday this season. But Mm -hmm. if you're trying to say, okay, well, do you want to be the team that pays Chris Paul's next contract? Chris Paul can opt out this summer, even though he's got like a 40 something million dollar option for next year. So if he wanted to kind of say, hey, I want more long term security, lock me in at a really big number. You're dealing with a player who's much older um, than Drew Holiday and would potentially have more injury risk or um, at least age related decline risk as you go forward. So I think that they were shopping for that third star and they couldn't get Beal. They were looking around and saying, we don't know who else we're going to get. And they just said, shoot, we've got to do this. And I agree, it would have worked a lot better had they gotten Bogdanovich as well. The lineup would have just been, you know, such a, I guess it would just jump off the page more. But I think they actually would have done that deal independently regardless. Maybe, 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 maybe. We, we, I mean, it's like, yeah, every situation is different. It was a huge haul, obviously. But this team has a lot of pressure to win a championship and that trade was also made before Giannis signed his supermax extension and so that's another 
variable here where we don't know how they, things would have gone if that's they the, already had Giannis locked up. Well, that's the number one reason why they would have done it is to secure Giannis's commitment or to make their best possible pitch. And it worked, by the way, you know, because Giannis didn't need Bogdan Bogdanovich in the end. He just needed a show of support from ownership. Hey, we're actually going for it. Um, you know, grabbing Drew Holiday and, and giving you some more talent. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how the, the whole plan works out. But to me, it kind of sounds Michael, like, Michael, you're um, you're warming up the second guessing on this one. Like, you're just kind of laying in wait for maybe a year or two down the road and come back to blast the Bucks for making this deal because you sound very skeptical of their chances to win a title. And ultimately, like, the only way this gets justified is if they win a title, right? Um, I, I mean, I think potential like when i think about the trade that they made for holiday the only reason that that was justified was if Giannis resigned Giannis resigns and so in their mind the trade is justified and so the contract is already justified right but i i i so i see it i see it that way but then also i do see yeah they obviously would need to need to win a championship now but i, I mean look my my preseason pick for the championship was Clippers over Bucks. Um, that did not change after the Harden trade. I still think the Nets are extremely good, but the Bucks are the other team in the East that, like, I could totally see the Bucks going to the finals, like, easily. I think they're really good. I really like how Drew has fit in there, and I think they're 12-4 and four since he came back from um, from having COVID. And they were five and five when he did have COVID, when he missed 10 games. Um, so he's just really good. He's a good fit there. And like, I'm not going to be surprised if the Bucks win the championship. I'm not. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm, I'm anti Bucks right now because they are one of the best teams in the East and I recognize them as such. Yeah, you and, and 538, 9%. That's how much recognition you're giving these <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks. I won't forget it, Michael. Uh, no, look, they have their work cut out for them. Uh, the James Harden trade was a complete um, landscape shifter. I think it impacted them more than almost any other organization in terms of how they were trying to build what their timeline was, how much money they were going to have to spend and everything else. But, um, you know, I'm glad they got this taken care of early, though, for, from their standpoint, because... Now it's just all about basketball. Now it's sort of like what they wanted to do with that Bledsoe deal, which is don't think about the contract, just go out there and try to win playoff games. And I think Drew Holiday is going to be much more up to that task uh, than Bledsoe was um, in the past. All right, Michael, I think what we're going to do is we're going to save all these great questions we got from the Open Floor Globe about our NBA's best and worst contracts that we we laid out last week. We're going to roll those over to later this week so we can really dive into some snubs, some new omissions, some other categories. Michael, we even had someone who constructed a mathematical formula to determine how much each player should be worth based on their statistics. I'm not sure if you or I is mathematically inclined enough to actually make the formula work. Maybe we can try to dive into that on our off day this week at some point. Um, But until then, guys, you can keep those emails coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Let us know, where do you want to see Jalen Suggs land? Are you a Timberwolves uh, fan just aching for him? Are you a Zion believer who needs a running mate? Are you a Raptors fan who's just you know sick of the current regime? Or are you a Bulls fan who are saying, come on, guys, we can't get a little bit of love. You can't even throw us out there. We've needed a point guard since Derrick Rose's days. Um, and we'd be glad to hear those arguments and, and those conversations as well. You can find Michael on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter 
at Ben Golver. Please go to uh, Apple Podcasts and search for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. All right, Michael, we will be back with our regularly scheduled programming on Thursday. Until then, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.